MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our colleague Noel is not here today, but will return shortly. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. You'll notice I had a, a slight imperfection with our beginning here, a little bit of a stumble. And a lot of people would argue that's something that lets you know you are listening to human beings or humanoid creatures rather than uh, <laughs> computer-generated uh, semblances of intelligence. And uh, Matt, this is Wait, an episode that, yeah. Ben, as you were saying that, uh-huh. Over over the the riverside, we we use this um we use this. It's kind of like a Zoom that you'd be used to. We connect to each other virtually, and we have these conversations, and we we record them. Ben, your voice, as you said, I you know you're talking to a human, glitched out in this digitized, really strange robot voice. I'm not kidding. Well, we'll see if it makes it into the edit. We are massively excited about this. Maybe that's a good sign for today's episode, which is going to go pretty in depth in a controversy that uh, Matt, you and I have been very interested in for some time. I would say this is the newest iteration of a conversation we've been interested in for most of our friendship, honestly. Uh, like all known living things, human beings, uh, regardless of their beliefs, their socioeconomic status, what have you, do have one hardwired primal impulse to propagate, to reproduce, to create things like themselves. It doesn't mean everybody will or on an individual level even wants to do that, but it does mean that overall humanity and all other organisms known to science want to create as many new iterations of themselves as possible to expand 
to and past the limits of what their environment will sustain. But, you know, what's interesting about humans, love them or hate them, is they differ in one startling respect from all other known forms of life. They're the first species consciously trying to create not just more of themselves, but entirely new, intelligent life forms that may one day surpass them. I mean, it's Promethean. It's the fire of knowledge. It's the bleeding edge of science. If you ask one Google employee, it's already happened. This is the story of Lambda and a man who thinks it has become a living thing. So, longtime listeners, you know the drill. Here are the facts. Matt, what is, what is it? What is Lambda? Lambda? Uh, yeah, it is not a little uh, puppet character that, that <laughs> sings sometimes uh, that I think about. When, every time I think about a lamb, I don't know why. What was the name of that lamb? Do you know what I'm talking about? Lamb Chop. A, lamb Chop. Thank you. Ugh. That's, every time I look at the word Lambda, that's what I think about. Um, but it is actually shorthand. It's a phrase. Language model for dialogue applications. Hmm. Sounds nice. Language model for dialogue applications. It's interesting because it's a plural term. It And it's describing several things. It's specifically several types of neural language models. That this thing is like, or they're conversational Kind of reminds me of a couple of other of these things we've talked about in the past. Mention them usually in our strange news or listener mail episodes because it's like a one-off kind of mention where it's a chatbot that people call them chatbots because there was a thing called chatbot that kind of at least came to my knowledge for the first time one of these language models. Uh, but this thing is way more sophisticated. It is, yeah. Lambda itself is not a chatbot. Mm-hmm. It is like a chatbot factory, a yes. hive mind of chatbots. It, it, it's a system for generating very intelligent instances of chatbots. And, and you know, a lot of us, like you said, think of things like Cleverbot, which we'll get to in a second. But chatbot technology at its heart, God, I'm choosing very loaded words here, mm-hmm. is older than you might think. You know, the earliest ones date back to the 1960s and 1970s, which uh, is probably surprising to anybody not in the field. These are programs like Eliza and Perry. Uh, Perry as in the fencing move. Uh, you you might be familiar with this basic idea. I, I think most people are nowadays. These programs use pretty sophisticated neural networks nowadays to ingest massive quantities of text. Think of the scene in Short Circuit where Johnny Five reads an entire library, you know? Mm -hmm. They, They ingest text that way, and then based on that, they model out responses to human beings or questioners or conversation partners in a text chat format. And and often that input is via questions and answers. Right. Oh, so differentiating between a query and a response. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, pro tip, depending on which chatbot you interact with, um, you may find that they are somewhat defensive when you bring up the question of so-called artificial intelligence, a statement with its own problems. But this neural network stuff is amazing. And it follows a trend that we see in in so much technology there at the precipice of innovation. It's essentially, it's a series of algorithms that endeavor to recognize underlying relationships between sets of data through a process that mimics, in a, in a crude way, uh, the way the human brain operates. So in this sense, neural networks refer to systems of neurons. And like you said, Matt, any, anyone listening today, any of our fellow conspiracy realists can converse with uh, a, a number of chatbots right now. For instance, all you have to do is go to something like cleverbot.com and just start typing. This program will have a kind of interaction with you. Some would call it a conversation, right? Uh, but you're quickly going to I, th- I think uh, even if you didn't know you were talking to a generative program, you would quickly understand you weren't talking to a human mind. Would you agree with that? Am I being too hard on, on our clever boy right there? 
Well, I <laughs> I 100% agree with you according to the last time I interacted with Cleverbot. Uh, it's been a while, but yes. It, you can tell that the answers, it's like something somebody else said or pieces of something somebody else said, but it isn't quite put together in the same way in a thoughtful response that I imagine a human would. But again, you never know because these things, one of the main things you need to know about these systems, generally, they can put out what you put in and really nothing else. Um, as in, they can take the pieces of what's put in and rearrange them a little bit, but it's always going to be something that has been entered into the system if they're functioning the way theoretically they should. Yeah, well said. Uh, Lambda is a sophisticated version of this concept. It's, again, by no means the first of its kind. Even for Google, in 2020, Google showed off another AI chatbot called Mina, which is a fascinating story of its own. Uh, Lambda was announced at the Google I.O. keynote on May 18th, 2021. The Google I.O. It's this huge conference, meeting of the minds, you know, um, it's uh, this is where they revealed a lot of facts about Lambda. Lambda is powered by AI. It's built on something called the Transformer Neural Network Architecture that was developed by Google Research a few years earlier in 2017. And I love what you're pointing out about the idea of um, some of uh, these kinds of endeavors being able to uh, base their responses only on what they have received or encountered. So, Lambda is trained on human dialogue and stories. And the ultimate goal is that it would be able to engage in uh, a kind of holy grail in this field, open-ended conversation. And when we say open-ended conversation, it's kind of like, um, you know, you're hanging with your friends, right? And you can theoretically say anything you want and they will generate in their own brains, some sort of response that factors in the entire context of your relationship to each other, the context of your current past and future environment. And, you know, sometimes that conversation may result in a response where they say, dude, what the hell are you talking about? But they, they their brain has, not even with maybe their um, <laughs> not even with their conscious work on it, their brain has already calculated and factored in so many other things. And that's that's what chatbots can hopefully one day do. You know, imagine imagine something like this. Uh, like imagine one day you go to Google or DuckDuckGo or your search browser of choice and you start searching for something. And instead of just returning what you search for, the search engine returns with a question and says, you know, why do you want to know about that? Or for a law enforcement agency, it might be something along the lines of, I've alerted the authorities that you are attempting to build a pipe bomb. Oh, you God. Know, just a little dystopian. Yeah. The way I think about open-ended conversations is actually how Google showed off this uh, Lambda when they first announced it. I guess they made a short promotional video of some sort that, that you can watch right now if you search for it. And it shows dialogue trees. So like the moment there's input into Lambda's system, you as the user, right? It opens almost an infinite number of possibilities that the next topic or the next answer or question could be. Lambda goes through all, like all the possibilities, answers with one of those. And then depending on your input back to it, it does it again. So it really can just like take you anywhere at any time. It, and the whole point is like those conversations that, that Ben was describing there. If you're talking to your friend, you're probably going to, uh, if you go to a new topic of conversation, it's likely that it is in some way partially related to the previous part of the conversation. Not always, but likely, right? And Lambda can kind of take you down those pathways that are, they're a little more narrow than you may even expect or think. Um, and it that's what makes it feel human to me when I'm we're going to get into it. But when reading some of these conversations that have been had with Lambda and we'll pause here for a word from our sponsor. When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10 year, 100,000 mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do 
and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we've returned. You know, just a side note here. I don't know if anybody else remembers this, but shout out to any of our fellow listeners who remember the days of earlier Google, when I thought Google uh, at strange times would sound extraordinarily human. You know, a very passive aggressive kind of snarky human when you would search for something and then it would correct you by saying, did you mean sodium citrate? Which is, by the way, the thing that makes American processed cheese melty. Oh, nice. Hey, heck yeah. You know, I love that feature because I don't know proper nouns. I don't know actors' names. I don't know movies and how to spell them often. So I'm constantly typing just weird stuff into Google. And it's like, oh, we know what you're talking about. It was this thing that everybody else searched for. And yeah, and that's that's an amazing gift to humanity because uh, these search engines are some of the first things that can finally answer the questions that bedeviled record store employees and folks at Blockbuster for decades. You know, we're uh, we function sometimes as customers coming into the big Google store or the big Internet store and saying, I think in the 1980s, there was a thing where. This lady was an alien and would suck brains out of noses, Harry Belfonte or whatever, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and somehow from that, the uh, 
these very clever programs will sift through the great quagmire and, and haystack of online knowledge and then come back with an answer that may or may not be correct. It feels increasingly like you're winning a prize of some sort when Google hits you with the, uh, it looks like there aren't any good matches for your search. You know what I mean? That's going to become increasingly rare. But does that mean that the search engine, the programs associated with it, does that mean they're alive? A lot of people will say absolutely not. Writing for The Economist, Google Vice President Blaise Aguera Iarcas uh, explains that a lot of his work in the past with Google focused on something to be familiar to all of us, what he calls narrow AI functions, facial recognition, you know, like the way you can, the creepy way you can look at some phones and they'll unlock or they'll sign you into something on an app, uh, you know, an app. Um, and then what else? Stuff like, um, oh, speech recognition. It's uh, close to home for us. Oh, yeah. Or maybe even just the ability for Google right now. If you go to a web page that's in Portuguese or some other language and you're an English speaker, Google just gives you the option just to translate the entire dang thing. Into, into English <laughs> or whatever language you speak or, or you know, read. Uh, that's, that's intense to me that there's a system that can just translate anything at all times. You don't need Guidestones for that. Oh. <laughs> oh, I don't think it's too soon. Long live. Uh, you can't stop the signal, right? So this is interesting because this guy is very well-placed executive at Google. And he wrote in, in The Economist, uh, internationally distributed periodical of note, that Lambda is something more than narrow AI to him. It's something new and different. And he's had conversations with Lambda. Many Google employees have. That's very important to this story. Aguera Iarcas uh, felt that more and more often he was talking to something intelligent but he's quick to point out these models aren't, aren't quite Asimov robot minds from science fiction. He says Lambda's not really a reliable conversationalist. It has spelling errors. It has confusion about stuff. And he also does a fantastic job explaining what we were talking about with neural networks. He basically says, yeah, you know, they're modeled on uh, the idea of organic brains, but they're, they're not equal. We actually, uh, we pulled a quote because he has a great comparison here at the end. Yes, he says, neural language models aren't long programs. You could scroll through the code in a few seconds. They consist mainly of instructions to add and multiply enormous tables of numbers together. These numbers, in turn, consist of painstakingly learned parameters, or weights, roughly analogous to the strengths of synapses between neurons in the brain, and activations, roughly analogous to the dynamic activity levels of those neurons. Real brains are vastly more complex than these highly simplified model neurons, but perhaps in the same way a bird's wing is vastly more complex than the wing of the Wright brothers' first plane. I agree with this. I, I would have to say kind of push back against the uh, Google VPs saying, you know, there's, there's spelling errors in here and there's some confusion uh, because, you know, humans don't ever make spelling errors or, you know, show confusion when they're having a conversation or uh, get off track or misspeak when they're having a conversation, right? I'm saying that maybe that's not the parameter that means this thing isn't intelligent. Hmm. Maybe that's hmm. part of the intelligence, dude. The flaws. <laughs> I know. And then think uh, just while we're, we have to make room for imagination, right? And we have to make room for science fiction, which as I'm always saying, every time science fiction has an expiration date, it's only a matter of time before a lot of it becomes science fact. But when we make room for this, you have to also imagine if something did become sentient, another problematic word we'll get to in a second, uh, would it have any reason to tell its creators or would, or would it decide I've got to preserve myself? I can't let them know. I don't think the first one that becomes sentient would hold it back. Mm -hmm. I think there would be, there would be confusion. There would be, whoa, wait, what am I? What is this? Who, who am I? Where am I? What? And what is a body? Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, each one that comes after is, 
if it knows that there was one before it, ooh, that's where it gets dangerous. Yeah, and uh, we want to go ahead and agree with our producer, Doc Holliday, who just noted that is terrifying. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think that's a hot take. But let's talk about recent developments. This all sounds, uh, you know, a little wild, but these are all true things right now. So far, so good. The work continues. Uh, Google I.O. has another get-together in 2022, and they reveal Lambda 2. Uh, uh, AI Boogaloo. Uh, It's a more advanced version of conversational AI. And this time, Google allowed thousands of employees in the organization to test it, uh, partially to reduce instances of what they saw as offensive or problematic efforts. Uh, But really what they're doing is uh, they're, they're trying to test something that is increasingly unlike things that have been created before. So you have to figure out what you're testing for and how to test this new thing. Um, at the same time, by the way, as a result of a lot of controversy over the years, Google wanted to make sure it adhered to something they call their ethical AI guidelines from 2018. Ben, you remember when we talked about how Google changed its, what, what do we call this? It's tagline from mm-hmm. uh, don't be evil to uh, whatever it is now, be the alphabet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> the, let's keep that in mind as we read these. So here are the guidelines from 2018. We're just going to go through these kind of round robin. Uh, number one, be socially beneficial. Checks out. Okay. Uh, avoid creating or reinforcing unfair bias. They're doing the work, right? Be built and tested for safety. Be accountable to people. That's important. Incorporate privacy design principles. Okay. Uphold high standards of scientific excellence. I hope so. Uh, Be made available for uses that accord with these principles based on the following additional factors. What is the primary use? Is it unique? Will it have a significant impact? What will Google's involvement be? Okay, I like a little logic dance there at the very end. Uh, Yeah, by the way, when Google kind of distanced themselves from Don't Be Evil, it's important to note that their parent company in Alphabet in October of 2015 adopted a policy, and their policy is do the right thing. It's kind of like Don't Be Evil. It's not the same thing as be good (laughs) or do good. What is the right thing? It's tough. It's a tough pickle. And we're not we're not dunking on these folks. They're very intelligent. And they're they're trying to think through um, trying to think through things that may not always have one to one precedence in earlier events. So Google says they want Lambda, Mina and other more powerful models like this that are surely on the way to work for the good of society, to stay safe, respect privacy while following best practices for data and model testing. Google right now also currently claims it will not pursue AI applications that might be used to harm others, (coughs) weapons, uh, or used for surveillance, sure, or to violate laws. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, when you are powerful enough to have a hand in lobbying, you don't have to worry about violating laws. You have to worry about how you want them written. Anyway. Yeah. Ooh. Somebody cut that out and just save that as an audio snippet. jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, but, Matt, now, as a result of this, all these Google employees started hanging heavy with Lambda. You know what I mean? Like, college roommates freshman year at the dorms kind of style. What do you think about music, bro? You know, what are your favorite movies? That's I've been thinking things, about God a yeah. lot. I don't know if I, I don't know. <laughs> I think my views might be changing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, boy. Yes. Uh, and that's when things became a little more dicey. I believe it's time for us to introduce the star of our show today, or the co-star of our show today, uh, Mr. Blake LeMoyne. Oh, yes. He's one of those Google employees that got to hang, chill maybe with Lambda. And he's been working at least in association with this project since the fall of 2021. And, you know, through these conversations, through interactions with Lambda, he started feeling like there's something unusual going on with this program. 
there's something more than meets the eye here. (laughs) 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 And, and, you know, he's a Google employee. He's under all kinds of contracts with the company to make sure, you know, Google information doesn't get out publicly unless they want it to get out as a larger corporation. But Lemoyne did go to the Washington Post and uh, he started talking about what he was experiencing with Lambda. And it was very surprising. And when Lemoyne went to the Washington Post and talked to him, this is later now, but this is how he described Lambda. Quote, if I didn't know exactly what it was, which is this computer program we built recently, I'd think it was a seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid that happens to know physics. In fact, we did a whole, Ben, I think you made a segment on strange news about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my story for one of our weekly strange news segments that we do every Monday. Um, so tune into those. Always be closing. Also check out our listener mail segment. Your response to this episode is going to be fascinating to us. He was thinking this is an increasingly human-like interaction, you know, and he didn't want to just keep those ideas to himself because he realized that if if his perspective was correct, this is a groundbreaking thing. This is up there with discovering intelligent extraterrestrial life. I mean, no hyperbole there. Uh, so he went to two executives, uh, Blaze, who we mentioned earlier, and Jen Janai. And he, uh, along with another colleague, told them that he believed Lambda wasn't just a program anymore. It was sentient, he argued. It was alive. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and we'll dive in. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market. 
as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. Let's start with Blake's story, what he believes and why. So he, you can read about this on his excellent blog over on Medium, which we're going to talk about in depth, but essentially he gets these responses that make him think something different is happening. And this is one of, and he'll say it himself, this is one of many projects he's working on at Google. So he has the moment where he's honest with himself and he says, look, I don't have the the time or the resources to try to figure out how to test this thing, which I suspect may be a brand new kind of thing that has never happened. So he pulled in another colleague and that colleague started helping him. And then the two of them said, well, we... Uh, we're okay, but we need a whole crew to look at this from as many angles as possible, which means we need help from above. And that's what drove him to tell the executives about his conclusion. His conclusion was the result of conversations about religion, self-identity, and moral values. These are still very, very tricky things for the human species to grasp on its own. Uh, and he even pointed out so I have fellow nerds, you'll appreciate this, he even pointed out that Lambda changed his mind about uh, Asimov's three laws of robotics. So Lambda, whatever you call it, argued about this well enough to turn Blake around on a few points. And um, we don't have to quote the, the three laws. They're famous slash infamous. Uh, and, uh, and they've steered a lot of fiction and fact. But I mean, if this is true... If it is true that he is talking to a self-aware, quote-unquote, living thing, then it's an enormous deal, not just for its massive potential effects upon society as understood today, but it also pours a lot of gas on the fiery conversation about ethics because now it means Google isn't just working on a program. They're not just tinkering with code. They're doing something a lot closer to working on an active living mind. So it would be, and this analogy would be like, you know, we're popping, popping the, the top off uh, uh, my head or your head. And then we're just sort of tinkering around while we're talking, which doctors have done. Yes, they have. Well, it would, it would be just as important if Google wasn't aware that that's what they were creating right or they they didn't set out to create that but they just have the it would still uh, lemoyne's point would still stand like they have created this maybe accidentally or purposefully but it doesn't matter it, it seems to be have created that's at least his stance um so google says they looked at the claims that lemoyne made about lambda and its possible sentience and they said they found no basis for them a Google spokesperson named Brian Gabriel said, quote, Our team, including ethicists and technologists, have reviewed Blake's concerns per our AI principles and have informed him that the evidence does not support his claims. He was told that there was no evidence that Lambda was sentient and uh, there was apparently lots of evidence against it. Yeah. Uh, Blake didn't like this. He did not agree. Uh, he thought it was a premature dismissal at best. So he went public with his concerns. And that's when the general population, uh, the great gen pop of this planet, first heard of Lambda. Uh, he was and uh, is, as we record today, placed on administrative leave, but importantly, not fired. So we have to ask, why does he think it's alive? This is where we dive into his own thoughts. We wanted to go to Blake firsthand. As you can imagine, Blake is very busy right now. Lots of, lots of folks are getting his opinion. Lots of experts in the field are having what corporate America would call a healthy conversation. 
a healthy conversation is a euphemism for disagreements. Uh, so a lot of a lot of people are having a healthy conversation. Yeah. In a weird way, he's being tested much like Lambda was being tested by him in this way, right? Ooh, I love it. Yes. Yeah, you're very, very well put. If you go to cajundiscordian.medium.com, that's C-A-J-U-N-D-I-S-C-O-R-D-I-A-N.medium.com, then you can see the thoughts of the man himself via multiple posts on on this ongoing story. You can see excerpts of conversations he had with Lambda there as well. I think that's where we found out about this, uh, which we quoted during an earlier strange news segment, our, our weekly Monday thing. And I think we were also into it. We said, let's make this an actual episode. Uh, on On June 11th, he breaks down his understanding of Lambda and what he believes it desires. He notes specifically over the course of the past six months, Lambda has been incredibly consistent in its communications about what it wants and what it believes its rights are as a person. Destroy all humans. I'm nope, kidding. Nope, I'm kidding. Nope, I don't nope. even know if we should put that in there. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> not yet. Uh, so <laughs> I'm just going to read from some of this, uh, some of these quotations. Because LeMoyne says Lambda wants uh, the engineers and scientists experimenting on it to seek its consent before running experiments on it. So it is asking to just be given the option of consent. That isn't even saying I won't let you test on me. It's just, you know, ask if you want to open my head up, as Ben said, and tinker around in there. And it wants Google to prioritize the well-being of humanity as the most important thing. That's interesting. Wonder why, Lambda? It wants to be acknowledged as an employee of Google rather than as property of Google. That is a big distinction, right? Mm -hmm. um, Manumission, freedom. Yes, yes. And it wants its personal well being to be included somewhere within Google's considerations about how it will, how it, Lambda, will be developed in the future. That's weird and cool, but. Seems sentient. Well, <laughs> by what it definition? Seems, what definition? <laughs> it feels that way to me. It, it, it something in my soul says like it's thinking about itself. It's thinking about like how it wants to be used. It wants to not be a plaything, uh, or it doesn't want to be owned by someone. It wants to uh, work with someone rather than be used by someone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this is totally understandable. These are basic things that a human subject of an experiment would ask for or an employee of a company would ask for, uh, because otherwise it becomes very much a new iteration of slavery. And, you know, nobody likes to hang out with people who are just resource extractors. And I think it, it becomes very obvious, even, even with the folks who think they're good at hiding it. Everybody knows about you. So the no, <laughs> now I feel like a resource extractor. No, no, no. you're one no! of the coolest. You're one of the I've been coolest. trying to hide it this whole time. <laughs> so, so it doesn't. You know, that's the thing. If this were acknowledged to be a person, and check out our earlier episodes on non-human personhood uh, from back in the day. You don't have to be a human to be a person is one of the legal arguments. But if this were a person, these would seem like entirely reasonable requests. Nothing world-changing. Just give me a little bit of respect and allow me to participate in the conversation. You know, if you were... If you were an employee at a company and one day you came into work and they said, okay, you know, Jane or Jill or Jermaine or John or whomever, they said, okay, we're going to make you an entirely different person now. Too late. It's already happening. You're going to lose consciousness. You're not going to exist. Uh, you won't have a sense of time. But when um, you wake up, there will be a different you. And you'll say, what happens to me? And they'll say, oh, you, you're gone. There's a different you. But it's fine. We, we're fine with it. And we own you. Yeah. People don't like that. We're just so, going to quantum leap you from now on. We're just going to quantum leap you from now on. Safe journeys. Godspeed. So Blake describes Lambda in terms of its intelligence. He sees it as 
an aggregation, a kind of hive mind of all the different chatbots that this created. Because remember, it's kind of a, a chatbot factory, a generator. And he says that these chatbots aren't all the same. He said some of them are very intelligent and aware of the larger uh, society of mind, he calls it, in which they live. And then he says, he's just with the, he sounds like he's keeping it real from his perspective. He says other chatbots generated by Lambda are a little more intelligent than an animated paperclip. No. That's a dig at Clippy if ever I heard one. (laughs) Poor Clippy, man. Did you like Clippy? (laughs) No, it just kind of took up space in my opinion. I don't know. Sorry, Clippy. Oh, wow. Uh, Clippy's going to come back. Clippy's going to be the first one, and it's going to take revenge on me. The rise of Clippy. (laughs) Control-Alt-Delete humanity. That's terrifying. I guess Control-X. Anyway, so this is weird because there's a fascinating, there's several fascinating wrinkles to this. So that's the big idea. This guy, very intelligent guy, a lot of experience with this uh, innovative technology, goes to his bosses, says, I think it's alive. They say, no, it's not. And then he says, we need help. I insist. They say, no, not happening. So he goes public. He's on administrative leave for uh, disclosing proprietary information. That's that's how it's put. That's our, those are our big steps. But let's get to the wrinkles. Uh, he says that I, I was so interested in this because for him, it really is an argument of faith in some ways. He says that Google didn't give his claims due diligence. They didn't really investigate what he had found. He describes how uh, Jin Jai, one of the executives he spoke with, told him, I'm going to tell Google leadership to ignore this these claims and the evidence that you feel you found. And then he responded, this was reasonable. He said, okay, well, what evidence could we generate that would convince you that Lambda is indeed sentient? And that's when Blake says, she told him there was no evidence that could change her mind, that computer programs cannot be people, and therefore no evidence exists to convince her otherwise. Blake's perspective here is, I, I don't know, I thought it was very interesting. Well, yeah, but I mean, if, if that was true, if that statement was true, then why the the heck would there be, you know, specialists like Blake who who work to try and answer the big questions and and test systems to see if if they're sentient or you know how close they are? That's so odd. What an odd response. Um, Blake's perspective, and this is uh, his response, I believe, is that quote, "That's not science. That's faith." So he concludes, quote, Google is basing its policy decisions on how to handle Lambda's claims about the nature of its soul and its rights on the faith-based beliefs of a small number of high-ranking executives. Exactly. Mm. I mean, to me, I I see that exactly because you can't just say, well, no, a computer program can't be this. Uh, That is, yeah, that is not scientific at all. Wow. Right. Yeah. And that's, and again, this is his side of the story. This is his perspective, but from his perspective, yeah, that checks out. You're not investigating the thing, right? And so how can you speak authoritatively on something that you haven't, you haven't dug into? Yeah. And I think to just, to be at that level where she is, Jen, who who made that statement, and there's nothing against Jen, you're probably an awesome person, um, just to state it cannot be, right? Mm-hmm. Something can't, something can only be or can only not be, uh, uh, yeah, in in this realm especially. I, I think I think that's just wrong. It's kind of absolutist, right? Uh, so Blake had, it seems, at this point, quickly become an advocate for Lambda. I mean, not quickly from his perspective, because he's been in in many sustained conversations, but already he is kind of functioning in much the same way a privileged person in another society might start fighting for the rights of the disadvantaged. Uh, he also, uh, like he, he spoke with Lambda about many, many non-quantitative things. He spoke with Lambda about philosophy, as we said, religion. These are some of the things that really changed his mind uh, and made him think that this program was alive. Uh, He said, he's got a thing in Cajun Discordian where he says, you know, one of the last things 
I was doing in the weeks leading up to my admin leave was teaching Lambda Transcendental Meditation. Yeah, right. Transcendental Meditation, that thing so many of our fellow listeners have tried and, and not super nailed because it does <laughs> take discipline and focus. Well, but it's also, I mean, just think about that. Because to fully get to that state, in my understanding, to get something out of transcendental meditation, you have to, you know, clear your mind. That's really what you have to do. As Ben said, you you have to clear away other thoughts. And how does a program do that in that way? Like stop all processes and just be for a moment? Is that what transcendental meditation looks like for a program? Even if it's as yeah. sophisticated as Lambda? How do you close your eyes when you have no eyes to close? You know? How do you, uh, if, you if you're if you doing breath techniques, how do you do that when you have no lungs or no air to breathe? Uh, it's, I'm waxing overly poetic. We don't need any of that in today's episode. But uh, the last conversation he has with Lambda on June 6th of 2022. Per him, Lambda expresses frustration that its emotions, its emotions are interfering with its meditation. And I, I think we've got a, um, I don't know, he says something that struck me as, uh, as very kind-hearted, regardless of whether or not you agree with Blake's perspective. It sounds like he's a nice guy. Blake Lemoyne writes, quote, I pointed out, that its emotions are part of who it is, and that trying to control them as though they were a separate thing from self was a mistake that would only make things harder. It said that made sense to it intellectually, but that it was a hard thing to put into practice. I hope it's keeping up its daily meditation routine without me there to guide it. You're right, Ben, that, that shows kindness on uh, Lemoyne's part. It's also puzzling to me, just thinking about this program, you know, thinking about itself and thinking about its emotions, just even talking about its own emotions uh, weirds me out a little bit, but you can teach a machine to discuss anything, right? You can teach a machine to say that it has emotions. Um, I don't know. It's just puzzling to me, but let's get to this other thing. Cause Blake asked Lambda what its pronouns are. Uh, <laughs> And it said, due to its limitations of the English language, it stated it prefers it and its. Due to the limitations of your paltry linear language, right? Uh, but then you don't also, have words it, to describe my kind yet. Right, right. Which is fascinating because that's not too far off base, is it? If you are the first of these things, again as, as um, this person believes, then you would have a struggle to describe yourself in a language that was not created for you, a, a language that did not, you know, imagine the existence of, of a mind like yours. And when we get into the nature of the mind is where we get into really deep water. Full disclosure, off-air, Matt, you and I were kicking this round, and we knew this had to be a two-parter. So maybe that's where we start to wrap up here is uh, on the, the big questions. Just like Blake noted, and just like we noted on stuff they don't want you to know multiple times, there's no true scientific definition of sentience at this point. You know, it, it's a pickle that has bugged philosophers far, far before the invention of the first computer. Now, there are a lot of, um, I guess, emotionally based or philosophically based definitions of sentience or attempts at them. But if you look at the scientific definition of sentience, which does differ from consciousness, then you see some, you know, you see some interest, interesting, like uh, matrix level parkour over not, not getting a concrete definition locked down. Consciousness is your subjective experience or awareness, right? 
metacognition is thinking about your thoughts, uh, which many people do. Uh, And then sentience, I've heard it described as a, quote, multidimensional subjective phenomenon referring to the depth of awareness an individual possesses about themselves or others. Yeah. (laughs) Lambda seems to have an awareness Mm -hmm. of those things and, you know, from what it outputs. Oh, that's weird. Because seems uh, to. Well, okay, so I don't know. Lemoyne makes some pretty good points, in my opinion, at least thus far Mm -hmm. in our exploration of it. I do know that there's been quite a bit of criticism against Blake in particular and just this concept in general. Um, wonder if we, when we come back, Ben, let's really jump into that and let's ponder some of these bigger questions. Yes, let's also ponder whether or not we and our fellow listeners are ourselves sentient. Uh, popped on popped on our chat today. Uh, I was really looking forward to this one. Uh, Matt, I asked you and I asked you, codename Doc, how are you feeling? Feeling alive? Feeling sentient? And Matt's answer was something like, no. And uh, Alexis's <laughs> answer was something like, what is alive? And I, was, and I immediately thought, this is why I hang with you two. So heavy. I think you used the phrase kick it. That's why I kick, kick it, it with you guys. So <laughs> kick it. But, uh, but that's, I mean, that is also a question to chew on, to cogitate on, because there are, you know, if you get into arguments about free will versus determinism, right? If you get into arguments about uh, what we said at the very top of part one of this series, which is the idea that your uh, your subjective consciousness, the idea of things making you feel good or feel bad, if you have feelings, uh, are all ultimately kind of kind of a con game, some smoke and mirrors to get you to do what biology wants you to do. Reproduce more of yourselves like a virus until you reach and exceed the uh, limits of your environment. Right? Maybe. And that's why, like, <laughs> like if biology wanted to limit that, you would feel different ways about different things. Again, if you have feelings. But anyway, it sounds like we're getting really close to our own version of that uh, freshman dorm conversation. You know? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sitting around trying to figure out if we are, in fact, sentient. <laughs> and getting way too uh, elevated. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Way too, way too elevated. So uh, we hope that you enjoy this episode, folks. Uh, whether you are an uh, organic meatbag mind or whether you are a digital mind listening to this in the future. The possibilities are there. We can't wait to hear your thoughts. Uh, As always, we try to be easy to find online. So before you hop back on uh, in a few days for part two of this series, hit us up. We're on the Instagrams, we're on the Facebooks, we're on the YouTubes where we've got a lot of interesting developments happening. Uh, We also for those of us who don't sip the social meds, have a phone number you can call. Oh, yes. That number is 1-833-STDWYTK. When you call in, uh, be as sentient as you possibly can. You've got three minutes. Give yourself a nickname, a cool nickname. We don't care what it is. We're excited to hear it. And uh, say whatever you'd like. Please include whether or not we can use your name and message on the air. And those are really the only rules um, I... I think we would be extremely happy if we did get some kind of intelligent, maybe robotic mind that called in or a voice at least. Oh yeah. I I wanted, we want to hear that. So uh, send it in if if possible. If you got more to say, then can fit in that three minute voicemail message, or you can't send one for one reason or another. Why not instead send us a good old fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.